Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, Sharon presents Part 2 of the Gospel of John, Chapter 3. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. What does it mean to be seeking, to go in search or quest of truth, and to search by questioning? If you have questions, that's awesome. If your kids have questions, that's awesome. When we stop questioning, that's a problem. Nicodemus was seeking. We're seeking. We're seeking the same thing. We're both seeking Jesus. We're both seeking truth. Matthew tells us, seek and you will find Nicodemus said to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. So am I. Nicodemus was a teacher too. I know you're a teacher who has come from God. No one, no one can do the signs you've been doing apart from the presence of God. Well, we had just seen in the last chapter, Jesus calls himself the true presence of God when he calls himself the temple. Nicodemus is on to something. One title of Christ is Jesus the teacher. I'm not the teacher. He's the teacher. He's the true teacher. This is his word. These are his lessons. Nicodemus was also a teacher, so they have an affection for one another. Jesus answered him, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. No one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Do you want to see the kingdom of God? Do you want to see it one day? I know some of you have family members there already. You want to go? No one can see it without being born from above. What's it mean to be born from above? We got to know. Nicodemus had to know. Nicodemus said, well, how can anyone be born after growing old? Can one enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I don't get it. Can, can I go back inside my mom and come out again? I, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. And Jesus said again a second time for increased emphasis. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Oh, another clue, water and spirit. Whenever he says truly, truly, or your translation might read verily, verily, perk up. It's important. He's going to say it many times in John. Truly, truly, I tell you, no one can be born, enter the kingdom of God without being born again of water and spirit. What is this? What does it mean? How do we do this? He goes on to say, what is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. So what does it mean to be born from above? Flesh is flesh. What's born of the spirit is spirit. This is going to take a little mental gymnastics <laughs> for Nicodemus and for us. So how I can feel I can best explain it is that we were partakers in the divine nature when we lived in the garden, when we lived with the Trinity, when we could talk to the Father, when, when the tree of life was right there, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit was the river of life right there. But when we fell from grace, and it was a huge fall because then we couldn't participate in God's divine nature as much anymore. We couldn't freely walk in the garden. We couldn't talk to him whenever we wanted. We couldn't drink from the river of life. We couldn't eat from the tree of life. And we got separated from his divine nature in its fullness. And we were supposed to eat from the tree of life and live forever. But we ate from the tree of knowledge of good, okay, and evil. 
We wanted to know evil. And he allowed us to because we have free will and he let us know evil. So now we know evil. And guess what? God does not participate in evil ever. So now we're separated from him because we wanted to know evil. So we got separated from his divine nature. And that's that hole in our heart. Now we live by the flesh. And flesh gives birth to flesh. They gave birth to Cain, who was a murderer. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Then one day in the fullness of time, flesh, Mary, was overshadowed by spirit. And the fruit of her womb is flesh from her, but spirit from God, from above. So what's in her womb is dual-natured, fully spirit and fully flesh, fully God and fully man. And he had told them right after the fall in his great mercy, I'm going to put enmity between you and the virgin woman and between your offspring, which is spermatos in Greek, and hers. He will strike your heel and you will strike his head. It's the first gospel. It's the first good news because I'm sending someone who's going to crush evil through a virgin woman. This promised offspring is human egg and Holy Spirit overshadowing. And Nicodemus knows the Jews are Abraham's human fleshly ancestors. And this offspring's supposed to come from their line. And Abraham's the father, the great, 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 great father of our faith. And Nicodemus knows him inside and out. And when he was called in Genesis 12, God said, I'm going to make you a great nation, Abraham. I will bless you. I'm going to make your name great. You're going to be a great blessing to the whole world because in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. All nations, all tribes, all tongues, all people, all time. Now, how is God going to do that? Bless all people of the earth through Abraham. What's born of flesh is flesh. Abraham's genetic line is flesh, and they're Hebrew. And they were so careful about keeping their ancestral records of genetical history all the way down to the son of Adam. Then we see Eber, which is where the Hebrews started. Eber is where the Hebrew race started. And those were Abraham's people. All the way up to Jesus. Flesh is born of flesh. This is human genealogy. Jesus was the son of Abraham through Mary, through flesh. But the human DNA of Jesus comes through Mary, through her flesh. But what is born of the spirit, and notice it's a capital S, is spirit. So his divine DNA came through the Holy Spirit who overshadowed Mary and conceived within her a human God, a human God child, a human slash God child. He's a dual nature. He's fully human and he's fully God. And if we want our deepest identity back, then we too, we had it when we were full partakers of God's divine nature, but we need a way to get back to our divine nature. And the way to get back to the Father, there's only one way back, and the way is through Jesus Christ. Because he's the spirit that's going to bring the flesh together so we can be born anew from above again and get back to our intended nature. Does that make sense? (laughs) To be born again from above, through him, with him, and in him. Jesus is the way, the only way we can do that. And we shouldn't be astonished when he tells us that we do must be born from above if we want to get back to the Father. And he gives us this incredible gift of baptism where we get to take on his spirit nature here again. 
We can be washed clean of that original stain. And we're going to die. We put that baby under the water. We're going to die to our flesh. Under the water, we're going to drown our flesh. And we're going to rise up again in a resurrection to the Spirit. And we're going to be filled with the Spirit so we can live by the Spirit and not by the flesh anymore. What's born of the flesh is flesh. What's born of the Spirit is Spirit. Don't be astonished that you have to be born from above. Okay, Nicodemus, and put your thinking cap on because I got another one for you. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Now, speaking of genetics and flesh, can you think of any other person in the entire canon of the Bible who has no human genetic ancestry? There's one person in the Bible that has no human ancestry. And Abraham meets him right after his call. In Genesis chapter 14, it's the only time in the Old Testament. Abraham rescued Lot, his nephew, and he defeated four kings in the Valley of the Kings. He met, after the victory, he met a very, 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 very different kind of king. And it was a king of peace. And this king blessed Abram. And he was a priest of God most high, we're told in scripture. And he brought out bread and wine. And Abraham tithed to him. And Abraham gave one-tenth of everything he had to him. And Hebrews told us last year, this king Melchizedek of Salem, priest of God most high, met Abraham as he was returning from defeating the kings, and he blessed him. And to Abraham apportioned one-tenth of everything to him. His name in the first place means king of righteousness. Next, he's also king of Salem. That is king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, resembling the Son of God. And guess what? He remains a priest for how long? Forever. And he's not born of the flesh. Huh. Melchizedek seems like someone born from above. No human genetic history, no flesh history, without father, without mother, without genealogy, neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the son of God, and he remains a priest forever. In Genesis 14, they didn't know God had a son. Nicodemus, a great teacher of Israel, a member of the great Sanhedrin council, doesn't get it. See how he is, how great he is? Even Abraham, the patriarch, gave him a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi, who received the priestly office, have a commandment in the law to collect tithes from the people, that is, from their kindred. Though, these also are descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not belong to their ancestry, collected tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had received the promises. It's beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. Melchizedek is superior to Father Abraham. It's beyond dispute. In the one case, tithes are received by those who are mortal. In the other case... This one seems to be immortal. In the other, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. A priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, in the very next chapter, Genesis 15, Abraham is just like, can you imagine what he's going through? And he has a vision. And the Lord says, don't worry, Abraham, I'm your shield. Your reward's going to be very, very great. But Abraham said, Lord, God, what are you going to give me? I mean, I am childless. Do you want this to come through my heir, my servant, Eliezer of Damascus? And, and Abram says, you've given me no offspring. 
I mean, he tried it the fleshly way with Hagar. That didn't work. That wasn't his, the one that God had in mind. No, said the Lord, this man shall not be your heir. It's going to be one of your very own issue. Now he's going to try it with Hagar. But before that, this is what the Lord said. He brings Abraham outside, and this is incredible, and listen carefully. He brought Abraham outside, and he told Abraham, look toward the heaven and count all the stars if you're able to count them. Can Abraham count all the stars? Can we count all the stars in the sky? Absolutely not. Then he said to him, so shall your descendants be, Abraham. And Abraham on the spot believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Why did Abraham believe right on the spot? Because it was daylight. When God took him outside, it was pure daylight. Because in the very next chapter, the sun goes down. Later in that chapter. Now, if we go outside in the daylight and we're looking at the stars, we can't see them. But do we know they're there or they couldn't come out at night? Yes. Did they go away? No, we just can't see them in the day. It's that certain. God is showing him. God is showing Abraham the stars in the daylight. And then later in the chapter, the sun goes down. Read chapter 15 of Genesis. So it's pretty incredible. Nicodemus said these things. How, how, how can this be? And Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel? Nicodemus said, you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, and listen to this. Jesus says, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen. Yet you do not receive our testimony. Who is we and we and we and our? Who is Jesus talking about in plural pronouns? If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, then how can I possibly, Nicodemus, tell you about heavenly things? You don't get it. Now, what is this going to do to a very powerful intellectual man? It's going to challenge him to find out the answers to these questions. So we go from Abraham and Melchizedek to Moses next, and Jesus throws this out to him. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Well, we know that in the transfiguration scene on Mount Tabor, we know that they saw Moses and Elijah. But Jesus says, no one has ascended into heaven. No one yet. Because I have not yet opened the gate back to my father. Elijah went up in a chariot of fire. Moses, we don't know. We've never found his grave. They're somewhere in a holding pattern, but they can't access the father yet until Jesus does this. In perfect obedience to the father's plan. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... So must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Remember that story. Jesus is going to be lifted up. He's going to be lifted up on the cross. He's going to be lifted up at every mass we go to so he can be exalted for what he's done. He can be lifted up so he can heal us from our snake bites. There's going to be a comparison here between Moses, the old Moses, and the new Moses, Jesus Christ. And just like the old Moses, they always wanted signs. They always wanted signs. What can you do? What can you do? What can you do now? Give us a sign. Give us a sign. Give us a sign. He gave them a ten fullness of plagues. Now they want to know, what can you do to prove that you're God? Well, let's review that story in Moses, number chapter 21, the brazen serpent. Just like when Abraham had battled the kings... Now the Israelites are battling the kings. This time it's the king of the Canaanites, king of Arad. He fought against Israel and took some of them captive in their exodus in the desert. The Lord listened to the voice of Israel. They prayed and prayed and prayed and handed over the Canaanites and Israel utterly destroyed them. Hallelujah! 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 No. They start grumbling and grumble, 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 grumble. 
they just had this incredible victory. And they say, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no food and no water. We detest this miserable manna food and these quail. The Lord then sent poisonous serpents among the people and they bit the people so that the Israelites died. Many of them died. And the people came to Moses and they said, oh, we have sinned. We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you, Moses. Please, please pray to the Lord to take away the serpents from us. And so Moses prayed for the people and the Lord God said to Moses, make a poisonous snake serpent, set it up on a pole and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. Now, all of us, all of us, in our human DNA have been bitten by a snake. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have been bitten by the snake. That's original sin. All of us in our human DNA have the snake bite. That snake bite certainly lessened our divine nature that we once perfectly imaged the Trinity. Before Jesus Christ came, all humanity was in spiritual bondage. We had all been separated from God. We had all been separated from the fullness of our divine trinity, life in the trinity, our divine nature. And we were living trapped in our own flesh. All of us have been bitten by a snake. So Moses made a serpent of bronze, put it on a pole, and whenever the serpent bit someone, that person would look at the serpent of bronze and live. We come into the world bitten, born of the flesh only. We have original sin on our soul. But a seed, an offspring, had been promised to the virgin woman who's going to crush the head of the snake that bit us and free us from that bite and from his bondage. And people, like the great Sanhedrin of Israel, were going to miss it. They're going to miss it. Why? Because they too were being led by the snake. They're living by the flesh. They're imaging the one who held them in bondage. They're going to put Jesus up on a pole. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Jesus, who was pure spirit, did not think equality with God something to be grasped. But he humbled himself to be born human, to be born fleshly. So he's born of the spirit which he is and of the flesh. He's our way back. We are born of flesh. He's going to help us be reborn of his spirit. And how is he going to do that? We must go through him, with him, in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, back to the Father. It's the only way. And when he consummated the spiritual marriage, he breathed his last breath and he gave over his, his ruha, his spirit, his Holy Spirit. We live in the age of the Holy Spirit. And for John, in the spiritual sense, that's the spirit he wants us to be reborn with. He wants to fill us with the Holy Spirit and we don't ask. The Father wants to give us every good and perfect gift. That's the most perfect gift and we don't ask. He wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit till you're bursting at the seams. And who is there at the foot of the cross when he surrendered his Holy Spirit? The Spirit's spouse, Mary. His one flesh spouse is at the foot of the cross. The new bride, till death do us part. And guess what? There is no death in God, ever. No death in God. So this is a forever marriage that can never end. And who else was there? One of his very first priests. In the order of Levi? A Levitical priest? No. No. In the order of Melchizedek, a forever priesthood. John is one of the first priests of the church. 
in the line of Melchizedek. He's born from above. He's born again. By what? Water and the Spirit splashing on their face. Blood and water on their faces. The signs of consummation of a spiritual marriage. There's blood and water. When a covenant is consummated, when a marriage is consummated, there's blood and water. It's a covenant with God. Water would be baptism. Blood will be Eucharist. The kingdom of God had come. He said, I will not drink again until the kingdom of God has come. Boom. It's come. The kingdom of God starts on earth. It's not perfect here. It's perfect there. It starts here at church, at mass. You get a taste of it. Nicodemus doesn't get it yet, but he doesn't have the Holy Spirit yet to understand. But he will when he's baptized. When he's born from above, he'll understand everything by the power of the Holy Spirit who will unlock his mind to all the scriptures and they will burn inside him. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away all the snake bites of the world, the entire world, not just for the Jews, but for every tongue, tribe, nation, people, for all time. In you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Welcome home. Welcome into the door. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. He wants our salvation. Why do you think he did all this? He wants us saved. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed the word. They didn't believe God's final word. They didn't believe Jesus. They didn't believe what he said. They didn't believe what the scripture says. They condemned themselves. He didn't do it. He came to save everybody. We condemn ourselves by choice to not believe his word. A thousand years later, the Israelites made that snake again. And they started worshiping that snake as an idol. And King Hezekiah in 2 Kings 18 broke the serpent to pieces. The rabbis say that sacrifice to that serpent, Nahashtan, involved the loss both of the present life and the future life. Death, death, death. This snake has bitten all of us. But God so loved the world, he allowed his only son to be lifted up on a pole. And we can look up to him for healing. All of us who have been bitten and bitten and bitten by snakes, look up. Look up. It was love that held him up on this pole for you. If you were the only person on the face of the earth, he would have done it. If there were no nails, love would have held him there. Don't be astonished. That I said to you, you must be born from above. Baptism healed the big snake bite of original sin. The sacrament of confession will heal all the other little snake bites we get throughout life. Some of them are bigger than others. Because we have free will still. And sometimes we live by the flesh instead of the spirit. But that's because we have free will. We can choose to live by the flesh or we can choose to ask for more of his spirit. I need more of you, Lord. I want to live by the spirit because it was poured out to me in my baptism, in my confirmation, in my rebirth. I want to live by that. And this is the judgment. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Now sin can be very, very pleasurable and we like it. We all have our favorite sins and that's why we go to confession and say am I anyway, say them over and over and over again, the same ones. I like him. <laughs> but Moses, Hebrews tells us Moses, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. The pleasure of sin is very temporary. It's very fleeting, but it's very fun. Just for a short time. 
For all those who do evil hate the light. They do not come to the light so their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that they may have clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. So we have this campaign going in the church. The light is on for you. Come into the light. Come in and be healed of your snake bites. Last thing, John answered, no one can receive anything except from what has been given from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I'm not the Messiah. He's so clear of his mission. I'm not the Messiah, but I have been sent ahead of him. And he who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Now we missed everything that John was saying there. And let me tell you why. Because a seven-day Jewish wedding is a new creation, a new Adam, a new Eve. And the couple are going to go into a private chamber inside the father's house to consummate their blood covenant. And the friend of the groom, or the best man, in Hebrew he's called the shushben, he, his job, literally, honestly, is to stand by the door and listen for the groom's voice and the sounds that are going on in there. <laughs> so that he can make sure and when he hears the groom's voice and his announcement of the consummation, this marriage has been consummated. And the shushman then has to guarantee the validity of this new covenant. And the other job he has is to get the marriage bedsheets. And the bedsheets must have blood and water on them. That was his job. They have to know the validity of this consummation. And it's notable for two reasons, because it speaks of purity before marriage. The bride must be blemish-free. Jesus takes his bride, the church, and he makes her blemish-free, Paul says in Ephesians 5. And it's also going to show a blood covenant, and this is the most solemn, binding covenant. A covenant of blood to God, between two people and blood to God. The shushben, the best man, then announces to all the guests that the consummation was complete and then the seven-day feast can begin. Break open the wine. A celebration. And when the couple surface from the room in the father's house, there's so much joy and so much wine to gladden the heart and they celebrate what God has joined together with what? A covenant meal. The marriage banquet. So John says, I'm the shushben. I'm the best man. He's the groom. He's got his bride. My job's done. For this reason, my joy is complete. It is fulfilled. Ah, he must increase and I must decrease. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise and thank you for your servant Nicodemus, who is a seeker like us. Thank you, Nicodemus, for questions. Thank you. Holy Spirit, for blowing where you will. Thank you for convicting the heart. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you came, Lord Jesus, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And thank you that we can be in your word so we know your promises. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You just heard part two of the Gospel of John, chapter three, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible studies, visit seekingtruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.